So I stuck a half a dollar, I think, maybe even if it was a silver dollar, probably not. <laughs> and I stuck a half a dollar in there, but I waited till she came back out because I sort of wanted to let her know I was putting something in the box. I was proud to be able to do that. That was the first time I, I recall being charitable. This is Catalyst, the stories behind the people building a better York. Welcome to Catalyst. I'm Rebecca Hanlon of Our York Media. Coming up, we'll be chatting with Bob Polo of York Federal Fellows. We'll talk to Bob about growing up poor, the greatest lesson he ever learned, and his takeaways from Give Local York. But first, here's a quick story about a York College student making a difference in York, brought to you by our title sponsor, York College of Pennsylvania's Center for Community Engagement. What if you could solve social issues by using techniques you learned as a freshman? For Eileen Yang, a nursing major at York College of Pennsylvania, she's taking human-centered design thinking techniques she learned in her first year seminar class to change the lives of some of York's youngest residents. The community scholarship program, known as Eisenhart Scholars, empowered Eileen and other YCP students to start Generations of Hope, a program intended to fulfill an unmet need for York City's youth. By working with YCOSP students, those who grew up in York and received scholarships to attend York College, Generations of Hope was able to directly address the needs of students who needed a group mentoring program. Eileen, what makes this mentoring program so unique? This program is unique because it's an unconventional approach to mentorship. Instead of one-on-one, -on -one, it's three mentors to five mentees. And instead of matching males together and females together, each group will have a mix. In addition, I believe that this program is unique because it's tailored to York City. Our target audience is sixth grade because during our empathy interviews, we kept hearing how hard it is developmentally without a middle school and a formal transition. This program is unique because it's meant to fill the root need for these kids, which is consistency. So what's the biggest learning experience that you've had through all of this? So when people think of volunteering and making a difference in the world, I think some people assume that that entails traveling to an underdeveloped country and helping the people there. And while those are actions that do make a difference in the world, I've learned that you don't have to go far to help. Help is needed everywhere and it's exactly where you are right now. It takes a lot of sacrifices and perseverance, but there's nothing more fulfilling than helping the place that you can call home. It's great that you've had a chance to be engaged in the community and make a difference in York. Thank you for all you do, and thanks for coming and sharing your story with us. Thank you. This season of Catalyst is supported by Stock & Leader Attorneys at Law. At Stock & Leader, our attorneys provide more than legal advice. We provide first-to-know expertise and a client-centered service through a collaborative team approach. We're more than your lawyers. We're your complete resource for legal insight and your partner for a fast-paced changing world. When decisions matter, stock and leader. And now it's time to meet our catalyst. So we're here today with Bob Polo. You may recognize him from Give Local York as well as a deep career spent in York, which we're going to learn a little bit about today. Um, and just kind of wanted to dive into things, Bob. 
So you spent the first few decades of your life in Boston, which some people might not know. So about 1939 to 1975, does that sound about right? That's about right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, obviously, a lot took place during that time. Um, You had a successful banking career, um, but there was something in particular, and when we were doing some of our pre-interviews and discussions for this, you know, you talked about your childhood and the impact that that had on you, um, and not knowing that you were poor when you were growing up. Can you talk a little bit about your childhood and, and what that was like? Sure. First, thank you for having me here to do this with you. I appreciate that a lot. Um, grew up in greater Boston area, and uh, uh, my mother raised four children by herself, and uh, so by the time I was knee-high to my father, he was gone. Mm-hmm. So um, she was a hard worker. Uh, she taught me a lot of what I know, and we were um, poor, I guess is what we would call it, but we were not poor of love or poor of uh, uh, respect or poor of discipline. Uh, I learned those things from her over the time that she raised us together. And um, she was an amazing woman, and I think about her all of the time. Uh, in what I have done and am doing in in my life. Uh, So uh, I didn't realize we were poor because of the love in the family. And I thought everybody was poor. I think I told you that the the salvation would appear at the door every Thanksgiving, and um, I thought they brought a turkey. And I thought, well, gosh, they bring a turkey to everyone Mm -hmm. on Thanksgiving. So, but that was not the case, as I learned uh, pretty uh, quickly, but but the point of um, keeping us all together, uh, keeping us all um, walking a straight line, you know, teaching us to be good people, uh, enjoyed uh, that part of my life very much. Great fast forward to mm-hmm. kind of modern day. You you had those those beginnings, but in your life you were able to build you know very successful career. Um, and be very comfortable in life, and now you have been able to share that with, with others. Do you remember the first time in which you were able to give back? Very vividly. Uh, in, in those days, greater Boston area, I got a lot of snow in the form of blizzards, so we would get 12 or more inches of snow pretty frequently. <laughs> And if it wasn't a blizzard, it was a lot of snow, yeah. just, just short of that. <laughs> so um, in those days, there was a good time for young folks, uh, teenagers, to go out and shovel snow for money. And uh, not a lot of money in it. There was only involved coins yeah. as opposed to <laughs> bills in those days. But it was a, uh, something to put in your pocket and get out and do some work and earn something. I did it so I could earn it and deliver it back home to my mother uh, so I could help her. Uh, One of the disciplines that she taught me was uh, budgeting and she had little envelopes for for everything that was important as uh, bare necessity, rent, food, and uh, a few other things of importance and she would put a couple of dollars in every one of them out of every paycheck she might have had and, and, and she worked three jobs all her life. So she was that hard worker. Mm. And uh, anyway, uh, in the snow shoveling, I gathered some coins together on a hard day's work, 
it's not easy to shovel snow, particularly for people who had driveways, <laughs> and not many did, but, uh, but that made it even harder and longer. Uh, so I recall going into a store, I think it was a dry cleaner, maybe picking up something for my mom, and uh, uh, as the service person left the counter and went behind um, a door, I, I saw this cerebral palsy uh, counter collection box, and it occurred to me that there are people far more needy uh, than I um, and would deserve some money to do something different with if it was money they wouldn't otherwise have. Mm. So I stuck a half a dollar, I think, maybe even if it was a silver dollar, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and I stuck a half a dollar in there, but I waited till she came back out because I sort of wanted to let her know I was putting something in the box. Mm. So I was proud to be able to do that. Mm. That was the first time I, I recall being charitable. Yeah. <laughs> other than the love, you know, that you give between each other and human beings. Oh, wow. Started early. Um, you know, if we, we look at the early 1970s, right before you moved to York, you know, you said when we had talked earlier that something happened um, that was the biggest lesson of your life, um, that what transpired made you decide uh, to move your family hundreds of miles from York. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it was a long time ago, 1974 or five, uh, just before a very deep recession. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was the deep recession. And um, uh, simply put, I lost my job. Uh, and uh, that's a very big thing. And I was, a, at that point, a young career banker and um, proud to be a banker in that privileged business. Uh, and uh, I was a senior executive uh, after having worked my way up and around and got into myself into a good uh, position. And I think I was a respected banker, um, yet uh, I was involved in those days. The chief financial officer was one who uh, was the go-to person to, for someone who wanted to sell their stock or someone who wanted to buy some stock. Yes, this gets done in a public company on the uh, stock market, but uh, for small uh, stock issues, a lot of it is done person-to-person uh, person in mm -hmm. those days. So I was that person, and uh, so I was able to put together people who wanted to sell a good amount of stock and people who wanted to buy a good amount of stock. So I did that uh, for a particular buyer at one point, and um, then became, you know, a, um, a loyal, um, reliable person to that business owner, so to speak, the largest stockholder. Then um, years later, sort of did it again because that person needed the money and someone else was willing to buy 66% of the bank if I could accumulate uh, that much stock. And I did do that. Of course, this is over a long period of time. Yeah. And uh, so I survived each of those cases remaining as the chief financial officer for that uh, institution. It was a Boston bank. I'm very proud to say it was a Boston bank. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they were deep in banking and uh, <laughs> uh, very good bankers. So I uh, uh, then a third occasion came to pass, and I was not the intermediary. And he was a wonderful guy, a gentleman banker uh, named Alan Levy, uh, a Jewish person, and Jewish, Jewish persons in Boston 
um, like Italian persons in Boston, but even more so, discriminated against and um, unable to get into certain businesses or certain opportunities. And uh, he was a really great guy, and I knew of him before that. So when he purchased the bank through my effort, he had, um, I started to work for him, and I, he told me that you're a good banker, Bob. I know you'll do well, but I promised your job to a gentleman who worked with me for the due diligence of the purchase of the bank. And I said, I understand that, Alan. In fact, I heard a rumor that was going to happen to me anyway, and uh, expected it might have happened in the transactions before that, uh, in fact. So uh, that really was no great surprise. He was a wonderful person to me. He gave me the car I was driving and the uh, year severance pay and the great recommendation and all of that. Uh, so I said to him, Alan, how long do you want me to work with your fellow, your friend, before I leave? And he said, not at all. Mm. Well, I was taken aback by that, the shock of uh, not being needed, uh, the shock of my knowledge was maybe of no value, uh, that as hard as I worked and as much as I thought I knew, uh, that all of that could be just wiped away in favor of someone who didn't have that particular experience and closeness to the situation. So um, that was a lesson in my life of um, uh, being replaceable, that no one is irreplaceable. So that goes on a little bit to going back home, telling my wife of what had occurred and uh, we had four young children mm -hmm. and I needed to look for a job promptly in those days uh, we not only didn't have uh, two phones, the phone we had might have been a two-party phone. <laughs> you know? So uh, uh, I said, Nana, we have to uh, get another phone in the house because I know they're going to call me um, uh, because I'm at least the historian for the company, the archive, um, uh, steward. Uh, the, you know, I know everything that's going on at the moment, mm -hmm. the issues that are halfway complete. So they'll call and I don't want the phone to be busy if an employer calls me for an interview. So I, I think we should get the second phone. We got the second phone and the next lesson of my life was it never rang. <laughs> so they got along just fine without me as all will do, whether they stutter or stagger or stumble through those transitions, they occur mm. and they have to occur. Uh, so you have to adapt your life to those kind of possible occurrences and try to do the best for bettering uh, your place, your station in life. I think it's just an incredible lesson, especially one that you were able, you know, maybe fortunately to learn at that point in, in your career. Oh yeah, how many of us think how important we are? You know, <laughs> that gee gosh, nobody can do without me. I'm the one guy someone needs for this yeah. or for that. And that just simply isn't the case. There's a lot of respect between people there's a lot of loyalty, there's a lot of earning things, but there's fallout mm -hmm. as well, and things change. It was, however, perhaps the thing that needed to happen to bring you to York. Wow, yes. Um, I never thought I would be uh, coming to York, Pennsylvania. Uh, I never thought I'd be outside of greater Boston. Uh, and uh, uh, in the recession I mentioned earlier, there were not many jobs. And yes, I believed I was a good banker and would find a good job, but I wasn't getting the job offers that 
matched what I had. Uh, I thought I should not step backward. I should uh, work hard to step forward and, and get a good replacement. Well, it turns out that the only opportunities seemingly then were going to be farther away, mm. not New England, not my hometown. So um, I did answer uh, one ad uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, that ad was York Federal Savings and Loan. It's the only, I'm sorry, there were you know, the, the only uh, application I made outside of New England, in fact, outside of uh, Greater Boston. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it turns out I ended up getting that job, and it was interesting. I was their second choice, but their first choice uh, was from a big city and a um, uh, maybe luxurious backgrounds in, in their organization my chosen organization to apply for here and hopefully to get uh, wasn't so luxurious. Uh, I didn't even have an office. They, you know, were a small bank at the time. We got very large afterwards, but we were small. And he ultimately turned it down because he didn't have a private office and he was accustomed to, excuse the term, electric drapes uh, mm -hmm. in his office accommodation. So he was by the wayside and I became uh, the choice and I think God, and I thank those people for having chosen me and uh, given me such a good feeling uh, about coming back uh, while being there to receive the call um, to come back for a uh, further negotiation uh, to get that job. But anyway, that was ripping up my family right, from yeah. Boston, you know, and the roots and the connections, and my life was there. So what a challenge it was to come to York. Pennsylvania, much smaller, uh, which was a great advantage. Uh, people would ask me, what do, how do you compare the two? And I say, I don't, I don't. I think about the good things I had in Boston, and I think about the good things I have in York. I think the only thing that strikes me as really missing is the water. <laughs> there's, there's no ocean. You just have to take a longer drive. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we ultimately when we became a little successful, got a place near the water. There you go. You <laughs> filled that gap. Yes, yes. You know, when you, I mean, so before, you had no real concept of, of York. None whatsoever. So, you know, you're coming to this place you've, you know, likely not heard of before. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to ruin the story, but you, you talk about how on the drive down, can you explain where oh, your wife thought you were going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you something quick, too, about yeah. what I, where I thought I was going. <laughs> Had I done the interviews during the day, I would have had maybe a different thought process because I did it at night. Okay. And all the stores downtown were closed. And I thought that's because the business hours were over. Turns out during the day they were closed also. There, was oh, no, no. there were a lot of empty stores, so it wasn't economically uh, vibrant at all. Like. Mm. Boston seemed to have been. But as we're driving with our four children in our Pontiac Safari station wagon driving down the highway, uh, Donna says to me, Bob, um, you just passed the road, the, the throughway to, to New York. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, aren't we going to New York? I said, no, 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 we're going to York, Pennsylvania. She said, oh, I thought you said New York. <laughs> so the joke is, in her mind and in our mind, is that... Uh, uh, it was a small town versus a big town, and she didn't regret that for a moment. Mm. But uh, this never happened. It's just a joke between yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> I like it anyway. Uh, you know, coming to a 
a small town, especially compared to Boston, mm-hmm. uh, and a new place in general, it can it can be hard to sometimes get involved or make your own mark or feel like you're you're part of it. You know, there there's some things that say it can take you know 20 years to feel like like right. you're there. Did you find that for yourself when you came? Actually, to I think they say 25 years, and that's a universal comment. No matter where you go, mm-hmm. they say about themselves that uh, it takes 25 years to be accepted. Well, that's not true, and this is a two-way street. Um, the people employing you or the people attracting you to the community have a responsibility to go shoulder to shoulder with you, get you introduced, and uh, work your way through this strange place that you don't know a soul in, and you've got to reset your whole life relationships with new people. It's very, very difficult to do alone. Uh, and then the energy that you put out personally to become engaged and you are who you associate with. You know, I'm always, when I mentor people, talk about that. Uh, hang out with the good, uh, aggressive uh, doers, the, the uh, people who get things done, the positive attitudes, the friendliness, uh, as opposed to all the negativity that you could bump into. And try to become uh, some semblance of, of, of who you're associating with. And uh, in York, it was fairly easier for me than maybe others because I was a banker. Mm. I say this with a smile on my face, but everybody needs money. So they were constantly going to the bank to get a loan. They surely didn't want to treat me poorly because <laughs> I was from, from someplace else sure. other than York. But then um, that's never really on their mind. But mm. uh, banking, as I said, is a privileged business. So it's an honor. Uh, to be in that business and you get to know so much in all of the positions I've held, all the involvement and closeness I've had to everything in the bank. Uh, all other people who were doing it, I may have done it all before that, but I get to see people's financial lives. I, I get to see their issues, their successes, uh, uh, get to see their needs and, and the solutions that they put forth to uh, to confront life's situations. And uh, uh, with that, you get to know an awful lot about people, and that is based in, the business is based in integrity mm-hmm. and confidentiality, and, and I uphold that to its fullest. You know, you, you also were involved in a lot of nonprofits in, in that kind of like heartbeat of the community. Can you talk a little bit about some of those early relationships? Sure, in the bank itself, um, uh, of course we're a public uh, business, mm-hmm. uh, very public, and uh, you need to vie against other competitors for the business. And so trying to become top of mind, uh, first name institution coming for a very small situation like this was, sure. to get to earn a reputation of that uh, uh, style is hard work by a lot of people. We accomplished that. And um, in the process, recognize that, uh, first of all, you have, an, you, you, you have a, a responsibility to the community and the consumers, but having put you in this position uh, by becoming your customer. Mm. So you deliver your service and you do that profitably. And uh, our opinion was that should be shared, a shared profitability with the community and the clientele um, and the employees and, uh, to, to make that a whole team reward. Mm-hmm. So 
in that process, you do a lot of things, marketing, as you know, mm-hmm. and uh, PR, as you know, travel and entertainment, as you know. I mean, all these things yeah. uh, give you a, uh, 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 a reputation in, in a community, a persona. And we dedicated that to the persona of the institution. And, um, uh, you know, in, in a bank, when you house America's wealth and you finance America's needs, again, that's a, that's a privileged business uh, to be into. So we find out and accommodate a lot uh, for people. So in that whole process, we begin in our, as we grow up, so to speak, uh, to have passions for different things. And um, the passions that are served by the nonprofits, the needs uh, that are served by the nonprofits, those needs create passions in contributors, philanthropists. I do some conversational work with uh, high school students about philanthropy, and they ask me, oh, they think you have to have a lot of money to be a philanthropist. Well, you start by your talent. You start by your involvement, your personal interest. Uh, and um, ultimately, you may be able to write a check and so forth. What's your time uh, and your, uh, uh, your, your treasure uh, to be shared with people? Mm-hmm. So we did that, and we did that bank-wide. Mm-hmm. So all of the people were excused from work when they were volunteering. Uh, they got on boards. Um, people love to have bankers on their boards. They have lawyers on their boards. They love to have PR people on mm-hmm. their boards. These are very important opportunities. So if you make the right case for yourself, or you make a good reputation, you get chosen uh, to be in that governance scenario of nonprofit um, directorship. And uh, uh, we did that, and as all of the bankers do it, but we did it very well. And we continued that. And as a CEO, my staff pushed me out to be more of a public face, the face of the company, and they did all the work, (laughs) which I appreciate it because they did it so well and so much better than I would do it. Uh, So together we made a great reputation and Mm -hmm. uh, helped a lot of nonprofits. You talked about um, being successful in the way that you can give back. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if um, a lot of people realize, um, you know, when you built your downtown building, um, which now is the municipal building and mayor's office on George Street, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but at the time it was really a sense of giving something to York. You're, you're building a structure, but you had that in mind. Why was that so important in, in terms of the, the structure being a gift to York? Well, we were growing and growing profitably and becoming a leader in our industry. Uh, and uh, as a savings and loan association, I don't know if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, every Christmas. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, that's also the kind of bank and uh, financing arm of housing uh, uh, that is not a public institution. So essentially the depositors own the company, but they don't practice ownership or they don't practice leadership or mm-hmm. governance. Uh, they actually sign proxies when they open the account so that the management can vote their shares. It was not legal to be a, a, a public company. Mm. Uh, so ultimately, uh, we rose that to, through its influence to become a, uh, a public company and uh, issued the opportunity to depositors to uh, become owners that just switched their savings to stock ownership. 
a lot of people just wouldn't do that, you know, uh, that was betting uh, uh, your purse uh, mm. on something as a little bit of gambling. They would assume if they weren't otherwise stock market players with, with their savings money. So it was hard uh, sell to get that done. Um, but uh, I, I, maybe I'm moving away from your question there a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. The, the building itself. Oh, the building you know, itself. You talked okay. about it. So during, that gift. during all of that process, um, the, my predecessor and I went to uh, Williamsburg to look at buildings because we were growing yeah. and needed more space from the small shop we had on 50 East King Street. And uh, uh, we looked at the college, the Wren building at the College of William and Mary and thought a replica of that would be really good. Mm -hmm. But when we went down, the story or joke is that he and I went there, we bought a door knocker, and we needed something to put it on. So we did this large, multi-block uh, uh, redevelopment mm -hmm. uh, in downtown York and built this college of, uh, Williamsburg College, uh, Wren Building replica. Mm -hmm. And it just looks so municipal, looks so strong. and stately, it looked like a government uh, uh, facility. So I always thought and talked to people about, boy, if this wasn't a bank, if it is no longer a York Federal Savings Loan, it really ought to be City Hall. Yeah. And lo and behold, it's now City Hall. Hmm. So, Visions come to be. Yes. Um, in light of the, the theme of giving. Oh, by the way, I have to add. Yes. The, um, the fact that, that we bought the building was because we were grow we were just stockpiling our profits right and, and not really doing a lot more with it we gave a lot to charity we became big givers to charity but what else could we do so we thought if we did this renovation redevelopment we'd be investing that capital into this new facility yeah. which is new tax base uh, for the city investing it back uh, to the you community. know new glamour so to speak uh, new buzz and bling you know, looks good and you did that we did that. Yes. yes. Uh, keeping in line with the the giving, mm -hmm. you know, because that's been a, a big thing in your life is, you know, with your own success being reinvesting that back into mm -hmm. the community. Um, people may know that the Polo Center, uh, Penn State York's campus, um, that's named after you. Um, but you had talked about when we met previously that um, – you weren't crazy about the idea of your name necessarily being on that, but you looked at it as a way of leading by example. Why is that so important that you lead by example? Uh, well, because the landscape of charitable giving or uh, capital campaigns or fundraising nonprofit campaigns is so crowded with asks and there are so many people who benefit by the causes that the nonprofits uh, um, involve themselves in, uh, uh, that charity and uh, donation and mm -hmm. donors become very, very important to the, to the success and future of all the nonprofits in our organization. Unfortunately, uh, difficult life things uh, uh, continue to come at our population, and, and, and they need help in getting solutions uh, for, for those things. At Penn State, of course, education is very important and other basic needs uh, in life are important. Mm -hmm. And they convinced me that the large contribution that we were going to make uh, would be good if we put the Polo Family uh, Performing Arts Center as the named place. And I didn't really want to do that. I just wanted to 
get the money into the education opportunity sure. here in New York. Uh, but they convinced me that by so doing, uh, other people would look at it and uh, looking at it, for instance, saying, well, Bob Polo can do that. I, I certainly can do that, or <laughs> I can do better than him. <laughs> they can be competitive, you know. Uh, and Because there were no uh, uh, benefactors uh, giving uh, at that level, or there are very few, and I thought there ought to be more because there are a lot more people earning a lot of money. Uh, growing a lot of wealth. Uh, wealth is all around us, but inspiring them uh, uh, or motivating them to do something that they're capable of doing, but they're not doing it, or not doing it in their own backyard, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, leading by example. It's giving by example. So I agreed to, to put the name on it. Uh, really was all, all that wanting to have my name on things. Uh, and you won't see that very many places, but uh, I felt that was important, and it is important. Uh, the The art of giving, um, uh, we do it for so many, many reasons, and, and there are a lot of artful dodgers, and you wish other people might do the same thing. I recall sitting at the Strand Capitol, like anybody sits at any performance, and they wait before the curtain goes up, and uh, wife and I are sitting there and looking at the playbill, you know, what's up, what's going on, and uh, they list their donors, mm-hmm. their patrons, and they generally list them by dollar amounts in certain captain or gold or silver or bronze levels. And um, my wife would see somebody's name there and she'd whack me with her elbow and say, well, how come we're not in that category? <laughs> so I had to hardly wait to get home, you know, to write out a check <laughs> or something and make some commitment because she didn't think it was right that we weren't there with the other people. So those were people showing me an example uh, mm-hmm. of their giving and that encouraged us, motivated us to do uh, the, the same thing or a similar thing. Yeah. So that's, that, it's like leading by example, yeah. it's giving by example. A little competitive. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I like it. Uh, the most recent thing you've been involved in um, is Give Local York. And we were just talking about that before we started recording how, you know, we're, we're really gearing up for mm-hmm. what will be next year, uh, first Friday in May is the second Give Local York. Um, but the event, you know, was really publicized as this way to democratize philanthropy and, and giving people an opportunity to, to give back. Um, why is it so important that you give people an opportunity at all levels to contribute to York? Well... Uh, well, first of all, let me say awareness. Uh, I think that the events themselves for all nonprofits, and in particular this one I'm associated with now, um, creates an awareness to the mission of the nonprofit or the cause and uh, what they're doing and how they plan to do it, what their strategies are. Um, so it's really important to get behind that um, for the nonprofits. The Artful Dodgers I told you about, they maybe don't bump into the occasion because they're not on a board uh, or they're new in town or something and they haven't been engaged uh, at that level um, uh, and didn't see the opportunities. We need to introduce uh, the f- uh, giving opportunities to them as well. Um, when you look around across the Susquehanna, Lancaster has been doing a day of giving for eight years raising over $8 million. Other communities not too far away uh, and also across our country are um, having giving days. 
and they're getting millions of dollars in 24 hours for the nonprofits of their community. The um, Senate or the uh, House of Representatives, the government has declared um, May, a couple of weeks in May, as a celebration of, a, of a generosity. You know, the United States is a very generous uh, population. And uh, so focusing in on that week that's dedicated to being thankful for generosity and reminding people of the opportunities in generosity, uh, I thought, why isn't someone in York doing the Giving Day? So I rallied the York Federal Fellows, uh, which there are 66 that get grants from the York Federal Savings and Loan Legacy, uh, to um, try to organize whatever they wanted to do. And they had the same questions. Why isn't York doing this day of giving? So put together the group on the Council of the Alumni, and uh, they put this together, and they decided they were going to go forward if certain large institutions, uh, anchor institutions in our community, were not going to take it forward. So we offered it to those institutions along with some money and some um, um, personal resource uh, 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 talent to get it done, and they still did not choose to do it at this time. So we said, well, we're just going to go out, a, go ahead and do it respectfully. I mean, you don't want to, you're not going to do it, but we think it should be done, so we're going to take that risk. And uh, so we got that going. And the risk uh, allows you then to work up with all the nonprofits using their own energies, actually. We train them, tutor them, give them um, uh, internet training on how to fundraise, types of events, things to do, uh, to, to do for that day. And uh, on that day, opening it up with technology to be done by computer online with a good, solid backbone uh, of technical support and uh, get that done for as little as $10. Mm -hmm. So we can bring giving into the hearts and minds of the children who want to sit down and give $10 to something or share with their brothers and sisters uh, 5 or $10 to a favorite cause that they might have. Like if their mother had breast cancer, they might be interested in, in making a small contribution. It was just big to them uh, online and really feel good about it, uh, satisfying the cause, hopefully, and giving something that's otherwise just yours. Uh, so that to all the, so the big givers who would be sponsors and, and uh, stretch pool uh, contributors. And on that day and leading up to it, we had created through all of these nonprofit workers, an awareness. Like, I would be surprised if on May 4th of last year, anybody over five didn't know that there was a Give Local York Day, mm -hmm. and it was that day on May 4th. Uh, and I tell you, it was an overwhelming success, yeah. essentially because of people like you. And Megan Fieser, a consultant who uh, uh, organized and motivated um, uh, all of the the human resources uh, to put out there to get it all done and you using your more modern media technologies to to reach other people to create this awareness was the big success and so we're going to uh, do it again and that was our inaugural obviously telling you we're going to do this every year mm -hmm. and uh, it'll be May 3rd of 2019 and we have already hit the street 
uh, to gather up uh, patrons and sponsors and so forth. In fact, Megan was working the day after mm -hmm. May 4th to start the new year program. So I'm really proud of all of that to me. Uh, for me, it's got two uh, particular um, takeaways uh, of great success. And, and uh, one is that uh, we have uh, not only made history, but we've made a future, a future for this generosity celebration. And we've stuck the shovel in the ground for the legacy of York Federal and its founder, my mentor, uh, Bill Wolf, the chairman uh, uh, of the board. And uh, he always told me, never say you have two things to say, because when you get to the second, you'll forget what you wanted to say for the second influence. The second influence for me, I guess, is that it's the biggest achievement uh, that has helped people um, so readily, so quickly, so easily. Um, uh, it's better to me than having brought the company public. Uh, to me, it, it does solidify the goodness of York Federal Savings and Loan Association and the people there, the founders, the governance, the employees in particular. None of this happens without the employees doing the work, the real work. And so this is their legacy, and that makes me as proud as anything I've ever been proud of. I'm very excited for the next one to come. I, I know, you know, what, what was the final amount, Bob, that was raised? I, oh, oh, this should be embedded in my mind, but it's uh, very close. $1,467,000. I think you're pretty close. Yes, yes. I, I'm not far off. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate so much that mm. you came to talk to us today and to make us excited for the things that are yet to come in York that, mm. that we can do. And in your own legacy, you've empowered us to leave one of our own in York. So thank you for joining us today and, and sharing that that history with us. Thanks for being a partner in all of that and in what you're doing now and the things that you do going forward. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. If you want to check out more episodes of Catalyst, visit ouryorkmedia.com slash Catalyst for show notes and more. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and bonus points for leaving a review. This project was funded in part by the York Social Venture Challenge Grant from the York County Community Foundation. Our title sponsor is York College of Pennsylvania Center for Community Engagement with support from Stock and Leader Attorneys at Law. This show is produced by Will Hanlon and Caleb Robertson. I'm Rebecca Hanlon, and you've been listening to Catalyst from Our York Media. <laughs>